everyone, and welcome back to the Biblical Woman Podcast. I'm Kat. And I'm Nicole. And today we are continuing our series of the solas because it is Reformation Month. And right, so we've done our sola Reformation intro and we did sola scriptura with Andrew Glenn. And today we are tackling sola fide with Pastor Ben Brown. And let me just introduce him um, for you guys. He has 25 years of pastoral experience and is now the pastor of First Baptist Church in Van Wert, Ohio. He received his undergraduate bachelor's degree from Cedarville University and earned his MDiv from Grace Theological Seminary. He's been married to his wife, Misty, for 27 years, and they have seven children from ages 23 down to two years old. Um, And for fun, Ben enjoys attending auctions and garage sales with his family, both to find things they need and to search for collectible treasures to flip on eBay. So welcome, Pastor Ben. It is good to be here. I'm looking forward to the subject. I love that you collect treasures and you flip them on eBay. That seems to be a really cool hobby that people have started to do now. So I think it's awesome that you do that. It's a perfect hobby for a pastor because uh, you can put it away. And so when life gets busy and I have a lot of responsibilities, I can put it away and uh, it's pretty easy to pick back up. And uh, so we have a storage place at home to put them. And so I have some time to do it, take the time when I don't have time for it, put it away. And so that's a perfect kind of hobby for a busy pastor. That's right. Well, it it makes you a little bit of money too. With seven kids, uh, God provides in all kinds of ways. I don't get his math, but he's faithful and never leaves us nor forsakes us. So I'm, I'm grateful for how his math is better than mine and we can trust him. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh man, what's like the coolest thing that you've ever found? And I'm putting you on the spot with that one, but like, what's like uh, one of those ones that you would rank that's like one of the best uh, treasures that you found? The coolest thing I ever found was um, an onion skin marble. Um, It's made with all the end of day glass and it was uh, close to two inches in size made in in Germany in the late late 1800s, early 1900s. And I bought it for $65 and it paid for a lot of uh, bills that month. <laughs> nice. <That's laughs> it, was, it, it sold off the charts and uh, was a great provision of God. So, yeah, that's that's probably my best find. Very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And uh, as Kat said, yes, I'm um, attending. My family and I, we attend First Baptist Church. And it's um, we're kind of new to the congregation since of March of this year. But it has been such a joy just to sit under expository preaching and to be in a church with such a high view of God's holiness, sovereignty, and glory. So it's just been such a, a gift to our family, and we are excited um, for what's to come there. So just thought I would throw that in there. Today, getting to the topic of sola fide, you know, this the sola fide is often referred to as the material cause of the Reformation, and it, it answers part of the question of how are we saved and how are we justified before God? And so at that time in history... What was the teaching? What was going on um, as far as what Rome or what the the teaching was about salvation at that time? The Roman Catholics will use the same language we do in terms of they'll talk about grace and faith. By faith, we would understand that as trusting in Christ, believing in Christ. But by by faith, they understand faith to be um, adding works. So 
yes, we trust him, but then we also have to do these certain things as the expression of our faith and do these things. So they have a system of faith and works, whereas the Reformation identified the biblical teaching that it's not faith and works, but faith alone. So thus the description sole fide. Yeah. I've also kind of heard it described as, you know, it's, you know, what the reformers were, you know, preaching the biblical truth of trust and take versus, you know, what you were describing with Rome. It was more about that toil of that working um, towards your salvation, working for your salvation. Mm-hmm. And so sola fide, the faith alone, it's, it's saying that salvation is entirely apart from our works or effort and that we are saved by faith in the completed work of Christ. Amen. When it comes to the idea of uh, our trying to get in by what we do, um, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount made it very clear of, if you're trying to get in by what you do, here's the standard. He says, be perfect, therefore is your heavenly Father is perfect. And he was uh, showing a group of people who thought, hey, we're justified by what we do, the Pharisees, and um, who thought they're making by what they do. Hey, here's the standard. Be perfect. And in fact, he he shows all those who are following the Pharisees of the day, you're going to have to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, which just blew their mind. Hey, these are the religious people. Certainly they're in. And he says, your righteousness needs to exceed their righteousness. And the standard is perfection. And Jesus's point, as he does throughout the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, here's, you've heard it said, this is a standard. And the Pharisees gave the idea, you can make it by what you do. And Jesus said, well, Here's the standard, and the standard says none of you are going to make it by what you do, which, of course, was directing them. You can't do it on your own. You need to trust me. Yes. And that just had to be so shocking, you know, at that time. That was so just not what was being taught in the temple or by the Pharisees. And so to hear Jesus say that, um, I'm sure, just kind of like you said, blew their minds. So at the time of the Reformation, it was this return back to the biblical understanding of faith alone. And I think a, a common question that gets asked is, okay, what what constitutes a, a believing faith? And I know, Pastor Ben, you've talked um, a bit about this before, about the differences of a believing that versus a believing in you. Could you talk a little bit about the difference between those? That is a great question. What is saving faith? As we look at the scriptures, we see that there's importance of believing that something is true, believing that something is true. We have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Mm-hmm. the son of God to have life in his name. That's clear in John 20, 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We have to believe that the gospel is true. The gospel being defined as Christ died for our sins and rose again. We need to believe these realities, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that he died and rose again. But just believing that is true isn't all that is entailed with saving faith. We see in James, the, the demons believe that Jesus is God. They believe that Jesus died and rose again. They acknowledge that that really happened, but they wouldn't have saving faith. It's not doing them any good, and nor is it going to do us any good if that is the extent of it. That is a part of saving faith, but scripture defines more. The observation was made to me several years ago, and when I heard this, I said, that is a great insight into the teachings of scripture and helps clarify what is saving faith in that the verb pistuo in the Greek is always used with that preposition 
N. So believe into, believe on. So we see by the two put together, it's more than intellectual assent to a group of facts. That's a part of saving faith. We have to believe that these things are true, but it's not just believe, it's believe into. And some of the ways I've heard it explained to define what it means, one of the best ones I think of is there was a tightrope walker who would walk across Niagara Falls. He would ask the crowd on the other side, do you believe in me? Do you believe in me? And they go, yeah, we believe in you. You're the greatest. And then, so he says, well, then who is going to sit in this wheelbarrow as I wheeled across? And then all of a sudden they're really quiet. And the only one that did was the manager. He sat in that wheelbarrow and was wheeled across. Now, who really believed in him? The manager. The one who believed in him was one willing to put their whole weight on that wheelbarrow and wheel across. Now, I wouldn't blame anybody for not singing that wheelbarrow. I wouldn't have either. I wouldn't believe in any human being other than the Lord Jesus Christ with that kind of trust. But that illustrates what trust is. It's to believe into, put our whole weight upon, trust fully in his finished work. I love that example. That's really good. Well, and I think it does a really good job of highlighting the difference between the Protestant view and the Roman Catholic view of justification. Justification is a word that means it's the act or the process or the state of being justified by God. So if you hear that word justification being used in our conversation today, that's what we're talking about is that process or state of being justified before God. It's a very legal sounding term. And of course, related to the subject where we see that clearly shown in scripture, the connection between justification being declared righteous before God and how that is received through faith is so clearly demonstrated in Romans 4, which is one of the key texts that we go to when we defend salvation by faith alone. It says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. But the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as his righteousness. So we see a very descriptive, very clear point. It's not based on work, couldn't be said more clearly, but to the one who does not work and and but trust God. And so we see that faith alone stance very clearly presented in connection with that doctrine of justification in Romans chapter four. And that is such a great text. Um, so yeah, for readers, I would definitely, or our listeners, I would definitely encourage you guys to read that, open your Bibles and check out Romans four, um, especially verses three through six. I think that is such a foundational passage, putting your full weight and trust in Christ, um, that is that is what defines saving faith, rather than just the intellectual belief or knowledge. It is like, okay, I'm trusting my life, and this is what my salvation rests on: is um, the faith that I have in the work of Christ. One thing that I like to do with the listeners, they'll oftentimes evaluate this: um, uh, Do I have that kind of faith? <laughs> do I have that saving faith? And they and they struggle with it and. One of the things a lot of times people will struggle with was, do I have enough faith? Well, we have to be defined clearly that saving faith is in the right object. And the comment, do I have enough faith? Well, what is that a reliance on? What is that a leaning on? Our faith isn't in the object of how well we trust him. Our faith is in Jesus and his accomplished work on the cross. So it's not a matter of having enough. It's a matter of the object. Is it Jesus or is it not? And then the, an illustration I love to use 
suppose you're at a stop sign and, and or a stoplight and you see that the semi behind you is going to slam into you and you know you're a goner. You just have one of those, my life, I'm, I'm gone. I'm going to see God one way or another in judgment or in being welcomed to eternal life. What would it be? If our thought is, have I done enough? Or has what I've done, is it going to keep me from it? Then we are demonstrating a reliance, a trust in what we do or don't do. We know we have saving faith. And we think of that moment and think, well, my, my answer would be Christ, his death, his substitutionary atonement. I didn't do anything to earn it. It's called a gift. A gift by definition isn't something I could earn or deserve. It's all what Christ has done. He said on the cross, it is finished. He did it all. I'm trusting him. If that is the things that you go to for your confidence and can just simple faith, simple trust be the basis of knowing we have eternal life? Yes. The Bible says so, so clearly. First John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God. So you may know you have eternal life. So the connection between knowing with assurance, I have eternal life is connected to our belief in and trust in Christ. I am so happy that you made the distinction or that clarification of it's not, it is the object of our faith mm-hmm. that is crucial, not how you said it, the, the amount necessarily, you know, that it is the object of our faith is Christ. And that's what we rest in. I just think of a kid on a dock. They don't kind of trust dad to jump into the water. They either do or they don't. And the same is with Jesus. We either are or we're not. We're either trusting him and his finished work or we're not. It's not a matter of a degree of it. We either, it's really in scripture said you do or you don't. (laughs) I feel like in the past, you know, I have struggled with that question as well. The amount, you know, am I trusting enough? Am I faithful enough? And so just having that reassurance that it's not the amount but it, it, like you said, it, you either do or you don't. There's no in-between. You don't get to be lukewarm on the subject. You either are or you aren't. And you mentioned a word faithful. Um, we, we need to see the distinction between the prerequisites or the response to be saved and then the consequence of being saved. Mm-hmm. That's an important distinction. We trust Christ. Scripture says he makes us a new creation in Christ. When we trust him, we're made into a new creation. The ability to be faithful comes from him indwelling us by the work of his spirit. We are able to be like Christ and and display the fruits of Christ's likeness, faithfulness as a result of the changed heart. So that's so important that we don't confuse the prerequisite to be saved, the, the, the response, the that we give with the results. We trust him and thereby are saved and made new. And the result is faithfulness. Anytime we add faithfulness and that is a requirement, then we're missing what faith alone is. Yes. Faithfulness is the outcome. Now, a lot of times people will come into my office with a works orientation and think, well, I have to be, I have to do good works to be saved. And I, and they, and I understand that they have that orientation. I say, well, you probably wonder if I don't think works are necessary to be saved, then why am I so concerned about being a pastor and doing good works and being faithful to God? And I said, and I and I explained, there's a huge difference between doing works to be saved and doing works as the outworking of having been saved. 
If I'm doing good works to be saved, I as a pastor will be condemned. And I tell them that because they can't imagine a pastor going to be condemned. And I said, I would be condemned because if I'm doing it to be saved, I'm relying on myself. And the scripture says I've sinned and fall short, that I deserve death, that my righteousness is filthy rags. I can never make it. So, but having been saved, I'm saved unto a life of good works. And I do good works not to earn salvation, but having received as a gift, I want to do good works as my response of gratitude for having received a gift I could have never earned or deserved. And we see that that distinction in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not yourselves is a gift of God, not of works. See all that language? Faith alone. We're saved through faith. And then it says, and then afterwards, so we're saved by faith. And then we says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we're not saved by good works, but we are saved unto good works. So to really differentiate between faith that saves and faithfulness that results. I'm glad you brought that word up. <laughs> As you were talking, I was thinking of um, second Galatian or not second Galatians, goodness, Galatians two sixteen, <laughs> which says, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law since by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So as you were talking, that verse was popping into my mind. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for making that distinction because it's not as though in uh, a Christian as being followers of Christ, that we are not concerned with doing good works. But I think that distinction you made was very important that that flows out of our saving faith, not what we are saved by. I don't want to just pick on our, on the Roman Catholics in this episode, but I live in the Bible belt. So I'm in like Southern Ohio. I can like see Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So something that's very cultural around here is being a Christian. And we, there's almost this sense of having to do the good works, you know, you go to church on Sundays, you maybe dress a certain way. Um, There's things you do and things you don't do. And I think in ministry, one of the hardest things that like we've encountered is like trying to convince people that just because you do these good things or don't do these bad things, it doesn't save you. It doesn't make you a Christian. And it's, it's been very interesting trying to witness to these types of people. One of the most effective um, illustrations I've heard is in terms of uh, a point that really resonates with people when I have a conversation with people like that is a a point that my friend Evangelist Larry Moyer makes, and it helps people to look to Jesus and their response to him. If salvation involves or requires works at all, what are we saying to Jesus? You know, and, and it gets the it gets their attention, not on how they're responding to me as his witness, but how they're responding to him. And he makes this point, if works are a part of it, let's look at that in reference to Jesus's death. If works save us, if the Pharisees were right, they're not. The idea of works save us, then what are we saying to Christ about his death? If I can be saved by what I do, your death is unnecessary. But then people will say, oh, you know, well, okay, yeah, Um, it's faith. I, I see all that about faith. So faith must have a part of it. But I've got to do something. There's got to be works. 
But then if we say that, it is equally an insult to Christ and equally offensive because then we're saying, well, Jesus, your death on the cross is disappointing. It didn't quite do it. I've got to add to it. And, and the point that Larry Murray makes is on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And he makes this point. He didn't make a, he didn't make a down payment that we pay the rest of it. He made the full payment. We see the scriptures also where it says in Ephesians, so that no one can boast. God doesn't share his glory with no with anyone. He doesn't show his glory with, he doesn't share his glory with anyone. What glorifies him most? That it's Christ. His accomplishments. In our conversation, though, there's there's a part of sole fide that is neglected by the church that causes a lot of the confusion. And that is sole fide is the message for sanctification just as much as it is for justification. And that is what causes a lot of the confusion because you'll, you'll see a church that says, oh, it's salvation by grace through faith alone. And then when it comes to growing, becoming more and more like Christ, more and more set apart, then all of a sudden you got this list of rules. So I get in by faith and then I live by works. That's not the gospel. That's not, that's contrary to the gospel too. And just as much of an offense to God. And that's the message of the book of Galatians. Paul makes the point, you were saved by grace through faith, justification by faith. And you mentioned one of those verses in Galatians 2. 2.16 earlier. But his point in emphasizing justification by faith is to make the point sanctification is on the same basis. And I think of Galatians 2.20 that follows shortly after that verse you mentioned earlier. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, this is a life I live in the body, I live by faith. We're justified by faith, sanctified by faith. And you see Paul's confrontation of the Galatians in chapter three, where he says, you foolish Galatians, you began by the spirit, you began by God's work. And now you're trying to accomplish, you're trying to get your sanctification by human effort, by your own works. And that's the very point he's confronting. And then you go to Galatians five and he says, hey, here's the fruit of when you're relying on the spirit and trusting him and here's the outcome when he's in charge. And here's all the junky stuff that comes when you're trying to do it by your own best effort, living in the flesh. And a lot of times when we think of the flesh, we just think of the, the sensual sins. And we think of that as the only thing that's the flesh. But the flesh, by definition in Galatians, is my best effort, independent of God, my trying to do what I should be trusting Christ for. When we walk by the Spirit, which is a picture of trust, dependence, looking to Him to guide, then all the produce is, is Christ-likeness. When we try to do it by our own best effort, when we try to be sanctified by works, it's ugly. So that's why you see a lot of these churches in the Bible Belt, why they have a lot of things that are good in terms of justification by faith. If they have sanctification by law, it's ugly. And look at the things that are talked about in Galatians 5 is the ugliness that comes when we try to do by our best effort what can only be produced by depending on the Spirit. That's really good. I, I took some notes. <laughs> Me too. I was like, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There was a lot there. That was awesome. <laughs> I love that you brought in the clarification for justification and sanctification, because living in the Bible belt, like you said, it it's a lot of people say, you know, you're saved by grace through faith. And then once you get in, you have all of these rules. 
I, I love that you shared that quote because like you said, if we believe that our works do save us, then we are in a sense in, insulting Christ that his work was not enough to save us. And I think, I think that it reveals hubris and extreme pride on our parts. If we believe that, whether or not we realize it or not. Yeah. Cause I, that's our bent, you know, we are bent to, towards pride and coming trying to like find some merit of worthiness in us that, you know, we have like, you know, attained salvation or sanctification and it's, it's not, it is not by our merit at all. And I think that, you know, the, our introduction uh, episode, we talked about the necessity of all the solos together. And throughout this episode, I've kind of like, I've seen that how, yeah, it's faith in Christ and, you know, Pastor Ben, you were talking about the the sanctification part and how that is for God's glory. And so then there's Soli Deo Gloria. So it's, it is all of these that tie Amen. together. We talked in Sola Scriptura about the sufficiency of scripture. I think that was an excellent point that you brought up about the believe in faith. The trusting faith is trusting in the sufficiency of Christ's atoning sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That yeah, I love that illustration of it wasn't just a down payment; it was the full payment. I I just have met so many um, people in my office, and I and why I feel for them and their pain. I, I remind here's here's the here's the dialogue out here. I've been I I realize I have this problem, and I keep on trying harder and harder to fix it, and I keep on finding myself farther and farther. So so they know, hey, if Christ. If you're in Christ, you should be a new creation. I should be seeing my life different. But what they're doing is they're trying to do by their own best effort what has to be produced by the Spirit. And so instead of seeing the new creation, they're seeing a lot of ugliness, which causes them to question, well, am I really saved? And I say, well, I'm so sorry for the pain you're going through, but I want to tell you, you're not alone. There's an apostle named Paul who talked about that same thing in the end of Romans chapter 7. What I don't want to do, that's what I do. What I do want to do, that's what I don't do. And then who will deliver me from this? <laughs> and then the, the answer is that deliverance comes by the work of the Spirit. So, and Paul points to our need for and our need to rely on the Spirit to produce what only He can as we rely on Him. So that message of, of sanctification by faith, as we who know sole fide in terms of justification by faith, we will give a more clear gospel to the watching world when we live by sole fide in regards to sanctification, in regards to the same effort. And I wanted to share that illustration because I'm sure a lot of your listeners will at one point or another, and maybe even right now, be going through that struggle. Yeah, what, what is going on? I'm, a, I'm saved. I should be different. And they ask ourselves, are we trying to do by our own best effort what can only be produced by God, by his spirit? I just think of John 15 too, which says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. We aren't handicapped without Christ. We are paralyzed without Christ. We can't do anything apart from his enablement. And the quicker we learn of of our need of a savior and to desperately depend on him for anything to become like him, then we're gonna experience the joy and that confidence of our salvation. Um, As we see the outworking of his working, we trust him. So this is awesome that you brought that point in about sanctification and saving faith, including that. I just started reading the book Holiness by J.C. Ryle, and I'm not quite through the second chapter yet, but halfway through. And the second chapter is on sanctification. And like I had underlined that and I even thought like, oh, this would be a good um, 
like quote for the the episode because I hadn't really thought of it that way, but it was definitely talking about those two together that the faith, you know, connecting just as much to sanctification as it does to justification. And I just hadn't realized that somehow before. Some wonder because of what they've heard, do I have to be baptized to be saved? Um, and there would be an example of uh, how a lot of um, uh, works-oriented religious groups um, will put, yeah, baptism, that's one of the requirements. That causes undue, unnecessary concern on many. They think, well, do I have to be in uncertainty? And I can't think of a more clear place of Scripture which addresses that very subject than 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was written to a group of people who are fighting. And they're fighting um, in a lot of different ways. It's pretty ugly what's happening there. They're, they're not trusting Christ to have the outworkings of their sanctification as they should be. And one of the things they're doing is bragging about their preacher and uh, claiming a superior status because the preacher that they adhere to is better than the, the preacher that another person is hearing to. Paul says in response to this, for I have been, for I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, my Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Paulus, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. If salvation required that we be baptized, then how would this statement of Paul's make any sense? I'm glad I didn't have anything to do with any of you being saved except these few. That makes no sense. What Paul is saying is, I'm glad that I didn't baptize you. Now, he's not saying that baptism isn't important. We'll talk about what the importance of baptism is in just a moment. But what he's saying is, I'm glad I didn't baptize you because of what you're doing with it. You're going to say, well, I was baptized by Paul and make that a mark of your superiority because I'm the one who baptized you. So in that sense, he says, I'm glad I didn't baptize you. But it would make no sense for him to say that if baptism was a part of what was necessary to be saved. And then Paul couldn't make it clearer than than he does in verse 17, where he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize. Jesus didn't send the apostle to baptize, which says it clearly is not a part of salvation because certainly Jesus, who came to seek and save the lost, if baptism was necessary for salvation, certainly would have sent Paul to baptize, but he didn't. And he makes a distinction between baptism and the gospel. He didn't send them to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So what is baptism? Baptism is for believers only. It's for those who have trusted Christ. It is a means by which somebody publicly identifies themselves as a Christ follower. And we see that pattern in scripture where the person believed, the Philippian jailer, he believed having trusted Christ, then he was baptized as an act of obedience, not as a prerequisite to be saved. We see the same with um, the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip led him to faith in Christ, and then he was baptized. So we see believer's baptism, an act of obedience by those who have trusted Christ and are already saved to publicly proclaim, hey, identify with the Savior, and want everybody to know I follow him. It's an important act of obedience, but not a necessary requirement 
to be saved. Well, yeah, I love that you brought that example in um, because I think there is a lot of confusion about autism in particular and the role that it plays in salvation. But yeah, Kat, any other um, closing, I guess, thoughts or questions before we go today? We've talked about a lot of foundational questions, even questions that we didn't necessarily plan on talking about. I think it was really good that we discussed these things. Um, Because I know in our previous episodes, I mentioned that our TikTok channel, we spend a lot of time uh, answering these questions for our viewers. So to be able to talk about the sola fide as both justification and the sanctification and that balance, being able to talk about, well, does baptism save you? Does it not be able to talk about that and be able to talk about what is saving faith? I think this has been a great episode and it's going to answer a lot of foundational questions for people. So good. Well, thank you so much again, just for coming on, being willing to give us your time and just knowledge on this topic and just to be able to together discuss sola fide, this fabulous doctrine of truth um, of our salvation. I have to give credit where credit is due. I was mentored by a gentleman named Ralph Porter, who did a lot of work in, um, in Mexico and Guatemala. So he had a lot of, um, he had a lot of challenge to these beliefs being in very heavily Roman Catholic areas. So he had to know the scriptures well, and I was privileged to be mentored and discipled by him. And uh, he um, helped to refine a lot of these ideas that uh, presented today, along with my evangelist friend, Larry Moyer, the two of them. Um, uh, Ralph helped me to understand the theological truth, and Larry helped me to Help me to, to learn how to articulate it in ways that the, the person the pew can grab a hold of. So I, I'm indebted to those men for what I've shared today. Well, I'm going to close this out actually from a verse that came up um, in the Bible study last night um, that pertains exactly to what we've been talking about today. All right. And it's John 3, 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Amen.